Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Should the government bail out the newspaper business? I don't know. Should I wear male rompers this summer? The romp him. Should, should I wear those? No. God, no. Hard no. Are we actually still asking these questions? The answer is no. Look, guys, I, I am clearly not a neutral voice on the question of newspaper subsidies. I run a digital news company. And we are a tiny, tenacious gnat. The newspapers are massive lumbering beasts. And the idea of the government paying them to step on me with my own money makes me ill. So that is my disclosure. I was in the room a year ago when the Public Policy Forum think tank held a meeting of the bosses of the news industry. They, for some reason, invited me and a couple other digital publishers I was there surrounded by the leaders of the biggest media organizations in this country while they made the case as to why they should get government money. I was there making the case as to why none of us should get it. Other digital publishers were making the same case. So I have skin in this game. I am an interested party. And while I have a dozen other arguments about why I think a newspaper bailout would be bad for this country, bad for you, uh, I also have a reason to believe it would be very bad for me. Also my colleagues, also every other digital news company, but, but me personally, I have a personal interest in seeing this bailout not happen. And you should know that before we go any further into this episode where I will be interviewing the guy 
who is pushing for this to happen now. You still here? Okay. In a moment, I will be talking with Bob Cox, the publisher of the Winnipeg Free Press and the chair of the board of the newspaper lobby group News Media Canada, which has just asked the federal government for an ongoing subsidy of $350 million a year. Wait for it. Today's episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Sarah Young, Rebecca Brown, Elizabeth McKinnon, Priya Sankaran, Elliot Vrendenberg, Connie Gerwing, Olivia Robinson, and Joanne Light. Joanne, why did you decide to be awesome? I support Canada Land because I never tire of its delightful Laurel and Hardy-esque intro music. Jesse and his cast of sidekicks dish out media analyses as freshly entertaining and wittily flowing as the antics of yesteryear's comedy heroes of the silent screen. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. And today's episode is brought to you by our founding sponsor, FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks, of course, is cloud accounting. It is painless billing. It is the solution for entrepreneurs and small businesses who need to get paid, get paid quickly, look good on your invoices as you get paid, get valuable information about when people look at your invoices, how quickly they pay you, give them the option of paying you with a credit card, making it super easy to file your expenses. One aspect of FreshBooks that I was very grateful for this week is their incredible support. All of their support people are in-house and they typically pick up the phone after less than four rings. This was true for me this past week when I needed help. I got my call answered after the second ring. I very quickly got the answer to my problem and then Shortly thereafter, there was a follow-up email to make sure that my experience with their support team was a good one. FreshBooks simply does the thing that they do very, very well. And that is why I think that after you try them for free, 
which you can do without a credit card for 30 days. After that, you'll probably become a customer. When you do, tell them that Canada Land sent you. Go to freshbooks.com slash Canada Land and mention us when you do sign up. Thank you, FreshBooks. You are the publisher of the Winnipeg Free Press, but I'm speaking to you as the chair of the board of News Media Canada. News Media Canada used to be Newspapers Canada, and just last year it became News Media Canada. Why the change? Yeah, that's correct. We used to be two organizations, actually. Uh, Newspapers Canada was always the organization that represented daily newspapers. There was the Canadian Community Newspaper Association, and it represented community newspapers. Uh, We combined the two organizations to make News Media Canada to speak with one voice on behalf of newspapers in the country. But in fact, according to your website, you speak not just for the newspaper industry, but here's a quote, News Media Canada is the voice of the print and digital media industry in Canada. Yes. And we've been emphasizing for a long time that newspapers are digital. Um, Most of us actually have larger audiences digitally than we do in print. And so we want to emphasize the digital nature of what we do. I realize that's probably overreaching that description. Uh, Certainly we don't represent everybody, but there's a lot of people consuming digital news in the country who get it from their newspapers. Yeah. I mean, I I guess that in as much as newspapers all have websites, you represent those digital media, but like... The National Observer, the Halifax Examiner, PublicRecord.ca, Ricochet Rabble, the Tai, the Newfoundland Independent, All Nova Scotia, iPolitics, Kukukwes, Guelph Today, Canada Land. These are all digital first news organizations which are not represented. I mean, that is the digital media industry in Canada if we're going to look at, at digital news organizations that are internet native. Uh, Internet native, yes. And and I think that, uh, however, uh, first of all, we do mean to open up our arms and we we would uh, look in the future to represent organizations that are doing journalism in the country to represent them if they're interested in joining. Um, It has its roots in newspapers, of course, but we are all becoming digital media. Some are digital natives, some aren't. Some started as as legacy newspapers that will soon be digital-only media. La Presse in Montreal is a good example of that, where they will be uh, digital-only as of next year. You know, we're all moving in the same... We're all moving to a digital world. Yeah, no, I don't mean to get hung up on semantics. I guess there's, there's two pieces to it. Yeah. It's not just about, oh, can I get into your club? Mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that you're trying to open up your arms, but actually the rules of your organization preclude anybody from joining who isn't publishing periodicals like it, it is it is explicitly to be a voting member of your organization you need to put out i think five editions a week of a print product so oh those are certainly old rules uh, certainly we um and i we uh certainly would revisit any rules that excluded publications that weren't. Really, I think we're going, we used to have, uh, the Daily Newspaper Association certainly had five publications a week because we wanted to emphasize the daily nature of it, but we're no longer representing simply daily publications. Now we represent all sorts of community newspapers. So, and that's typically weekly, not not always, sometimes less than that, but typically weekly. And, and if there are rules that somehow are a barrier to the participation of uh, digital natives, uh, we would be happy to look at those as well. To, to be more inclusive. I mean, in this effort that we have in terms of our proposal to the federal government, we have uh, uh, tried to, to bring more digital uh, organizations, digital native organizations into the fold. Uh, we haven't done a perfect job of it, but, but we've tried to bring more into the fold. I'm just going off of what's currently on your public website. And sure. I, the, the, the relevance of it is that if you are approaching the federal government with a plan of how to 
uh, engineer and structure a news subsidy and you're presenting yourself as the voice of the digital media industry in Canada and the actual digital media industry of Canada is not a part of this organization, nor, nor by your publicly stated rules, allowed to be a, a voting part of the, of the organization. That's a big red flag, right? Well, I think that we haven't, we've tried to be as, as transparent and, and straightforward as possible. We presented this proposal to the federal government as coming from News Media Canada. Typically, people think of us as newspapers. We don't mean to misrepresent ourselves, and certainly uh, we, weren't, we aren't the only voice that's putting forward uh, positions to the federal government on this issue, uh, and we don't uh, pretend that there aren't other voices out there. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you reference the participation of some of those websites in the process. Canada Land was actually involved in the process with Public Policy Forum, as was James Baxter, I know, at iPolitics. And the content of our involvement was to say we didn't want any any kind of government subsidy or news bailout. And I, I noticed that in the messaging around this proposal, the fact that these digital companies were included is is mentioned, I think, almost to suggest that this was a collaborative proposal or that we were on, on side in some way. But in fact, there was a lot of dissent as to whether or not this would benefit digital first companies. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, we, we made the proposal under the title of News Media Canada. It's, it's our members who are represented. We realize there'll be dissent and there'll be, that's, Part of the democratic process, some people will have, will have different opinions. The uh, you know we weren't trying to fool anybody or anything like that. We're, it's it's clear where the proposal comes from. But for there to be a democratic process, people have to be able to vote. And I can't get a full voting membership to News Media Canada because I have to be a publisher of a of a daily periodical, uh, according to your website, in order to join. Well, uh, if that's the case, then I'd certainly be open to examining the rules. I'd have to look closely at what the rules are. Typically, what we the way we've always anticipated it would be with anybody publishing regularly and uh, the if the rules don't cover you then I'll, I'll absolutely bring that up with the board to, to look at that because uh, we actually do want to open our arms and, and be as broadly based uh, an organization as possible. I hope you can appreciate why I'm kind of uh, pressing on these points. It's not simply that you know wanting into the club Part of it is for an organization to claim to speak for my industry but not allow me into their organization is problematic. But there's a bigger issue here, which is that when we're talking about $350 million a year from the government to the news business, the issue of who gets that money, the old players, the new players, is incredibly important. And your proposal your, your proposal states that this is a plan that will not be about picking winners and losers, which companies are going to benefit and which companies are not. It's about preserving news journalism. And I guess that's really what I want to talk about with you today is, is this a newspaper industry bailout or is this a plan to save news journalism? Well, in my mind, it's a plan to save news journalism. You know, I know that this idea that it's some kind of bailout for poorly run companies is certainly out there. And it's one of the criticisms of our proposal. But I think the thing you have to remember is that a news media company uh, is not going to be saved by a small subsidy from the federal government. I'll give you an example from my own company. My own company last year had expenses of $75 million. Our revenue from the previous year fell by $8.5 million. Those are the kinds of problems that I, as a publisher, have to grapple with. Now, if this program were to go forward, in the best possible scenario for this company, which has 10 newspapers in Manitoba, we might get a couple of million dollars out of the fund. $2 million is not going to save this company. Uh, $2 million could help us preserve our newsrooms, but it is certainly not going to save this 
Anything that's going to do that is good management and some kind of a plan to build a future business model. And that's what we, those of us who are publishers are working on. This is really an effort to preserve the journalism we do. Um, it won't save this company or, for that matter, any other newspaper company. Well, your paper is unique, right? The Winnipeg Free Press is sort of the last of the independents <laughs> in terms of a, a, a city's daily newspaper. Yeah, some people have called us a unicorn, but I don't really like that description too much. I mean, we're struggling in the same industry as everybody else. We are independently owned, and I think what that does is it takes some of the pressures off us. We have owners who are very philanthropic, who, for example, have not taken any dividends out of the company since 2015. You know, in many ways, we are a not-for-profit company and now operating in the community interest in Winnipeg and the other towns. Well, I, I think that there actually might be some something that we could learn from that in terms of what makes a paper sustainable in Canada and how consolidation and these, these you know, mega companies and post-media might be not as well equipped to, to sustain an endeavor like this. You say that you'll only get a few million dollars. We can anticipate, based on the formula suggested by this plan, who will get most of that money. I think we're, we're talking about uh, John Hondrick at, over at Torstar and Paul Godfrey at Postmedia. Those are going to be the major beneficiaries. Uh, those would be the top two, I guess, those two companies? Postmedia certainly is the largest company that would be involved. And, and Torstar, of course, at Metroland, yes, certainly they would be the two biggest in the country, yeah. But in terms of our company, yeah, I mean, we are, you know, I wouldn't call us community-based or, or not-for-profit or anything like that, uh, except that, by, you know, we, we have a different structure here. Uh, I mean, we are essentially locally owned. Uh, we, I mean, we are a, a different example of what can be done in Canadian newspapers. And uh, I think you have to remember that, yes, there are big companies that have a lot of people in newsrooms who would benefit from this, but, but let's not forget about the smaller places. Let's not forget about Carberry, Manitoba, where we have a little newspaper that has one employee, and she lives on the second story of the office we have in Carberry. And, uh, and if it wasn't for her, Carberry wouldn't have any news about itself. And uh, those, those communities are also involved in this, and there are a lot of them. There are hundreds of them, and, and we're also trying to help them. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think it's interesting the way that this is structured, that the money goes specifically to subsidize the salaries of journalists. And I, I, I take this as a measure against this simply going to the bonuses of the Paul Godfrey's of the world, that this this is a, a, up to, I think, $30,000 a year per, per journalist. Yeah, I was very insistent that it be tied to journalism jobs because uh, I, I think that uh, editorial budgets, uh, you know, uh, uh, they can be where you define them, right? I mean, you could define anything you want into an editorial budget. But if you say, look, it's got to be based on the number of people you employ, and there's a maximum amount per person you employ, then it's very real. And it really keeps feet on the street of people who are reporting. Um, it's not, you know, lavish uh, expense accounts or, or extensive travel or extremely highly paid columnists or anything like that who are getting overly subsidized. Uh, I don't think Canadian taxpayers have an appetite for that. Yet there is no distinction between a opinion writer and a reporter. Both would be uh, eligible for the $30,000 a year salary subsidy. Uh, yes, yes. So we would be paying $30,000 of Margaret Wente's salary, $30,000 of Christy Blatchford's. And if a paper like, say, The Post wanted to invest heavily in opinion and not in original reporting, nothing in this plan would be rewarding them for doing the city council, community-based, letting you know what your elected leaders, you don't want to muck, muck around in, in the newsroom's business of where they allocate. They're all journalists. They all get $30,000 under this plan. Yeah, generally that's true. Although we had to do this very difficult task, which is defining journalism. I mean, we're, we're not 
pretending that we've defined we got the ultimate definition of, of journalism in this in this proposal. I mean, we basically came up with a definition that could be used to administer a federal program. Obviously, you can have a lengthy and almost endless debate about what journalism is. So we came up with a definition, and what we tried to do was to focus it on reporting, original reporting. Now, if a, if a publication were to suddenly say, well, we don't care about reporting anymore, we're going to be all opinion, they would probably disqualify themselves from this program. Again, the, the details need to be all worked out, but... Uh, uh, we would anticipate that if you were purely an opinion publication, uh, you wouldn't be part of this. Yeah, double in the details. I guess it's the purely, uh, when you look at a National Post where the emphasis is on opinion and they've been divesting themselves, as, as a lot of newsrooms have, of that original reporting. I'll read your definition. Civic news is defined as reporting on elected officials, public institutions, including legislatures, judicial and quasi-judicial bodies, city halls, school boards, health boards, and supporting public services and other current events and matters of public interest. It seems to broaden out quite a bit there, other current events and matters of public interest, all of which contribute to the ability of communities and jurisdictions to better know themselves. I guess I wonder where reporting on private corporations, reporting on the media itself might fit into that. I I could argue that it would be included under the current events and matters of public interest, and somebody else might argue that uh, it should be excluded because the priority here seems to be on elected uh, bodies. Who decides if there's a dispute? Like We sort of determine that everybody... Once your, once your news organization qualifies, any journalist gets $30,000, up to $30,000 of their, of their salary subsidized. But to get in that door in the first place, there are lots of exclusions in this plan. So who decides who's in and who's out? Well, I don't expect there'll ever be an end to the debate, that's for sure, over who's included or who's not included if this program were to go ahead. I mean, it's going to be a program administered by Heritage Canada. Now, however, what we've said is there should be some kind of an appeal body, and that appeal body should be drawn, have a broad membership. Uh, I think it's defined in the, in the proposal there what the appeal body uh, would uh, consist of. So there would be members of the public and members of uh, media companies and, and uh, et cetera, who would all be represented, who could, who could uh, make a final determination uh, if somebody wanted to appeal whatever the Heritage Department had, uh, had decided. Yeah, there's no question it has to be arbitrary. I mean, if you're going to have any kind of, as I said earlier, if you're going to have a federal program, you have to have some kind of definition of included or who should not be included. It's not an easy area area to uh, define. It's not, it's not easy to actually tackle this problem. I think there's general recognition by a lot of people, not just in the, in the Liberal government, but in, by a lot of people, that there, there actually is a real, a real challenge here in Canadian journalism right now. But the question is, what do you do about it? And this, our proposal is just one effort to make a suggestion as to what could be done about it. Yeah. I mean, other ideas that came out of the, the Shattered Mirror plan were to refocus CBC on news coverage. So if, if the problem, nobody's, I think, debating that there is a problem that we're losing reporters and legislatures and, and basic civil reporting on just, just what you need for c- citizens to be informed. One idea is that the CBC should do that with more focus on doing that. They should not be selling ads against it and they should be making that reporting available to other people for us to include them as a a free wire service that we could build our own journalism businesses on. That's one idea. There's another idea to make it possible to have charitable and nonprofit endeavors for journalism. I take it that this is a proposal from the newspaper industry. So it's one idea among many, but it is an idea that, as we'll talk about in a bit, uh, a lot of people think is, is going to happen. You bring up that this would be administered by the Heritage Ministry. So when one the major concern that a lot of people have with this is that you essentially have the, the government adjudicating who is and who is not a journalist. That does seem to be a real concern to me. Other people have dismissed that and saying, no, we'll have this we'll have this third party board. And you define this board, uh, the appeal board, as uh, people coming from 
news councils, think tanks, community foundations, granting agencies, academic institutions, professors, people like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's sort of a six of one, half a dozen to the other to me as a digital news entrepreneur. When I'm thinking about who's going to make decisions about who's a journalist and who isn't and what is a what is a journalistic entrepreneurial endeavor, it seems like a bureaucracy by one name or the other. And when I think about the kind of board that you describe, academics and think tank members, news council members, I think of like retired journalists and government bureaucrats, a lot of great minds, of course, but people kind of at the end of their careers. And I and I, I have not met a lot of people at that stage of their careers who I think have a very firm grasp of the very dynamic and fast-changing innovations that are happening in digital news. So I imagine myself or uh, an entrepreneur with a different idea going before a board like that and pleading their case. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of gives me a chill. Yeah, well, that's a good point. And the point is not to have some kind of uh, bunch of old people making decisions uh, about uh, things they don't understand. The point is to have a broadly representative group. So, uh, I mean, the question is, how how can we make it broadly representative? If you don't see your face there uh, when you're appearing before it, it's probably not broadly representative representative so so therefore we have to you know the makeup should be determined uh, based on on that principle you know again it's not they're not trying to be exclusionary or to see you not represented or anything like that it's really just a question of working on on how it's composed uh, this is a work in progress remember this is something we've simply submitted as a possibility as a proposal one thing i can guarantee you is that even if the government does decide to do something uh there'll be a lot of changes to what we've proposed yeah Right out the gate, the fact that it's coming from a group to which no digital organizations, pure digital, are allowed to be a member is is a flag. But then even before we get to the idea of going before a board to plead your case, a lot of the existing digital news outlets in Canada would be excluded from the get-go. You have exclusions here like the publication must employ journalistic staff or contractors beyond the owner-publisher. So right away, I think about Tim Bousquet's Halifax Examiner which I don't believe employs anybody uh, full-time anyhow outside of Tim. Joey Coleman's public record, which, you know, both of those publications are doing that kind of uh, shoe leather reporting of elected bodies. I think of Maureen Gugus.com. I believe she's the only employee there. Like that is a model that is emerging of one journalist hanging their shingle and setting up shop. I mean, those seem to me to be the, some of the most worthy people if the government were to subsidize journalists. These people are serving communities that have been abandoned by companies like Post Media, where newspapers are on strike and whatnot. They're excluded from the get-go. Publications produced by an organization that promotes the organization's main business when it is not periodical publishing. That's a tricky one. Canada Land's main business is not periodical publishing. And I guess you could argue that our news reporting does promote our podcasts, so somebody could try to exclude us on that basis. You've got one here that, as a, as a comic book fan, caught my attention. I love comic book journalism, like Art Spiegelman's Mouse or Joe Sacco's stuff. There's all kinds of people doing Like, If somebody wanted to start up a business of doing uh, comic book journalism in Canada, they wouldn't be viable here. Publications with editorial content that is more than 50% comic books or cartoons can't get access to the subsidy. So you have to understand that it's a work in progress, but it really does seem like there's already a determination about who's getting this money. Well, you raise some good points. I mean, this, the whole point of putting it out there is, is to have it debated, to have it refined, have it truly incorporate the purpose. I mean, we tried to state a fairly general goal 
And I, I, I might note that the kind of things you're talking about, you're getting into a lot of the details and the this and that and who would qualify and, and raising some very legitimate points. And the, I might note that in terms of developing this proposal, I've dealt with many, many publishers making a number of detailed points just like you're making right now. And what I've told everybody is that like, if you don't get first base, you're not going to score. If you don't actually establish that there's actually some kind of need for some kind of support, for this journalism, then then there's no point in even talking about the details. And frankly, I think we're at that first stage, still talking about, you know, is there a need and is there a willingness for public support for this journalism? I'm open to changing anything about this proposal. I'm sure the federal bureaucrats who will look at it will be open to any kind of consultations they should be doing in order to make it as fair as possible and to actually achieve the goals of of any program that is that is established. So it's not like we suddenly try to exclude a whole bunch of people if if we've made you know, uh, errors in the way it's drafted and it should be broadened or changed or uh, that's fine. That's absolutely what we're all about. That's why we're having this conversation is so that we can identify the flaws and make sure that uh, if we get to a point, if we get past first base and we actually are going to have a program that it achieves the purpose that we want to achieve. I hear you, and and I absolutely appreciate and feel the the dire situation that uh, newspapers are in in this country. And I know that there's a, there's still that is where the the majority of the original reporting is happening in this country. Probably, I guess, remove CBC. You know, a large portion of it is is still being done by newspapers, and the, and that people care passionately about keeping that, and it's important to keep that. Again, nobody is is disputing that there is a problem. You talk about us getting to first base, and I and I, I think that what I'm calling into question is whether or not, given the newspaper business's track record in adapting to these changes, if the newspaper business should be the ones who are pushing this forward, if the newspaper business is, is in any position to be the ones crafting the framework for if there is going to be government intervention, what should it be? If I look at the newspaper business, I mean, Andrew Coyne was writing this recently, it is a business that has failed at every turn to adapt to these changes. This is a business that is responding to a huge industry crisis by firing reporters and shortening the length of papers. So I can't think of a, of a worse way to respond to people having less interest in your product than degrading the quality and the quantity of that product and, and expecting people to regain interest. Why should we follow the newspaper businesses? instructions and recommendations as to how to save journalism. Yeah, you won't be surprised if you hear that I disagree with Andrew Coyne. The, uh, the newspaper business hasn't failed at every turn. The newspaper business has tried to adjust. Now, have they adjusted very well? No, they've been overwhelmed by the digital economy and uh, all sorts of our uh, business model has fallen apart. Um, now we're trying to uh, come up with a new business model or models. The company that I run, which I've run for 10 years, I can guarantee you looks absolutely nothing like the company that I took over in 2007. We employ half the number of staff. We do all sorts of things digitally. We have all sorts of revenue lines that we didn't have before. We have changed a tremendous amount. And well, all the while, while still trying to preserve the journalism that we do. And I think that that's the honest effort that most newspaper companies are making. And, and I think the proof of that is in the audiences that we have maintained. Why should we be involved in this? Why should we try to guide this? Because we reach tens of millions of Canadians 
every week. We still reach most Canadians every week. As a single medium, newspapers reach more than any other single medium does every week in terms of news. And so, uh, yeah, we have audiences. We have uh, connections in every community. We still cover all the small places that aren't covered by the CBC and don't have any TV or don't have any radio. We still uh, are present, literally, from coast to coast in, in communities. We think that's a valuable resource for those communities, and we want to maintain that. That's why we're, we're putting this out there. Nothing is stopping anybody else from putting out a proposal, too. We think that this is something that could help preserve the function of informing these communities about themselves, and that's why we put it forward. You know what? You can make a really strong argument for the Winnipeg Free Press making an honest effort to adapt to these changes. You guys have done some interesting stuff with micropayments. You are trying to figure out a way, seeing the writing on the wall, that advertising dollars are not coming back to find new revenue sources. I don't know that you can make that case for Post Media or, or even the Globe and Mail. I know that you can make that case for papers like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post, papers that are doubling down on their journalism, are seeing doubling and tripling of their subscription rates as they move to a reader supported model. How getting an allowance from the government is going to encourage the post medias, the Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, or even you guys, you have been as an independent concern trying to find new revenue sources out of necessity. How getting a government allowance is going to speed up innovation or improve upon innovation. Toronto Star tried something with Star Touch. It was an ill-advised folly. The safety net of government funding of an allowance, what is the logic there that that's going to help you actually solve these problems? Isn't it just as likely that it's going to become a lifeline to keep starving the journalistic function while maintaining just some kind of basic product as we've seen the industry doing over the past 10 years? Well, I can't speak for other newspaper companies, but what I can tell you is that in my company, and you've got to remember, a lot of the newspaper industry does look like smaller, smaller places, like the, the like the Winnipeg Free Press. We we can't do it. Like we can't afford to innovate. Like we we have a small digital department here, and we do, as you mentioned, we do some interesting things. But boy, it's sure painful and hard to do that without any help. We feel we could make a lot more progress if we had some help. We feel that we could actually get to a point where we don't need the help anymore. I mean, that's my, that would be my goal. I mean, as a publisher, I'm, I am quite uncomfortable asking the government for money and d- didn't really want to in the first place uh, and feel that uh, we can establish a business model in the future that stands on its own. But uh, I also know how hard it is to get there and the kind of help that's needed to get there. There's lots of places, lots of companies that can't do any digital work, or any digital experimentation because they just don't have the resources. You know, I, I hate to call any kind of fund from the government transitional, but I, but I would hope that this would be a transitional fund, something that, that is not permanent. But it's not proposed as a transitional fund. No, it's I, not. I, it, is, it is proposed as, as a permanent allowance from the government. Well, it's proposed to be reviewed after five years is what we proposed, yeah. So. And, and Andrew Coyne has put forth a point that I hadn't considered before, which is that it would become very difficult for any government to pull the plug on this financing because then you're killing newspapers. Listen, I, you're in a terrible position. I, I, I appreciate that. You know, it is much harder to adapt a print business into a digital business than it is to start a digital business. It's actually quite easy to start a digital business. The costs are very low. Wouldn't a better form of government subsidy be to encourage new digital businesses to emerge and uh, tie it to doing original journalism? But I think that one thing you can't forget is that there's a tremendous amount of original journalism being done by the people who are currently employed in this field. So why throw that all out? And it's, 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 
thousands of people, right, in, in, in hundreds of communities across this country. So why, why start all over again? Like, I mean, why not use that as a base to build the future? We, we haven't said, look, prop up print newspapers. We've said, let's try and preserve the journalism. If that resource wasn't in place, well, sure, why, you know, just go ahead and, and, you know, try and come up with something to fill that role. But it does exist right now. And it seems crazy to throw it away. You said a moment ago that you, you, you were against going to the government for money and you're, and you're uncomfortable as a newspaper publisher doing so. Mm-hmm. Tell me why. I mean, that is an uneasy fit for, you know, if you're of a journalistic mindset. Remember that just about every other media in this country is subsidized in some way. So uh, newspapers are kind of the last bastion of independence from any kind of government support. We've always been kind of proud of that label. However, we, don't, we enjoyed it only because we had a certain business model that got a lot of money from local advertisers and classified advertising and this sort of thing that doesn't, that we're not getting anymore, not to the same extent. So it was just the sort of the luck of the business model, uh, the fact that we could do classified ads and television couldn't that, that helped us out. So so now we're in this boat where where we, we don't have that revenue. We, we really, we know we can build a future, but we feel we need help to do it. I mean, that's the only reason we're asking now. I mean, people, even a year ago, a lot of these publishers would have said, no, 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 we want to remain as, as independent as possible. Now they realize that, yes, there is a serious problem and we think we need help now to to get past it and uh, I, I just it wouldn't really be an advocate for a long-term program a program that lasted forever not, uh, you know that's not really what I'm suggesting which is why we put in the five-year review of this particular program Bob the stakes of this are quite high I, I think and you, you know I appreciate that this is just a proposal that your organization has has put forth mm-hmm. but right now it's the proposal it carries a lot of weight it is the proposal of the newspaper business yes and I think it's it's uh, from what I understand it's being taken very seriously by heritage Mm -hmm. and there is a chicken and egg element to this where this is a proposal to account for the fact that there isn't a lot of new journalism happening digitally but of course new journalism happens digitally when the old stuff goes away my organization came about because of the market was not serving media criticism there was not enough media criticism so i could build this business Mm -hmm. if we entrench kind of a life support system for newspapers, we may be stopping the ability for, we're not letting a process run and papers that can turn it around, turn it around, papers that can't go away and, and the laid off journalists can start new things. We're instead saying what we have now, we're going to continue to have potentially. And Canadians don't want it. There's an abacus poll that says that Canadians don't want to bail out the news industry. And, you know, I I can understand why the Vancouver Sun just ran a piece that basically argues that uh, we have to worry about white genocide in Canada. I can understand how the increasingly diverse population of Canada, like the idea of paying the Vancouver Sun to run stories like that, paying papers to run endorsements for politicians that they don't want to vote for, paying for editorials that they don't relate to. There's an increasing sense of dissatisfaction that Canadians are not being served by the news media. and, And they have said that they don't want this bailout. So both as an entrepreneur who, who wants to see more entrepreneurial efforts flourish and just wondering, like, from a citizen's point of view, why should people have to pay for this? Well, I, I guess I have to question a few things in terms of the premise of your question. I, I really would question whether there is support for this, because I've seen polling that actually says there is general support for the journalism to be supported for for there to be some kind of support program for journalism it doesn't say that there's support for any particular uh, legacy news media company or anything like that and I think if you ask the question that way you tend to say no we don't want to save post media 
But uh, if you ask the question, well, do you want there to be continued reporting in your community and are you willing to see the government support that, the, generally the answer you'll get is yes from a majority of people that you poll. So I would say that there is some general support for the idea that we put forward to uh, answer the question regarding legacy media companies earlier in this interview, which is essentially that, you know, this isn't going to save them. The, there is going to be continue to be a dynamic development in the marketplace. The fact that we have a huge amount of subsidization of other media in the marketplace. Um, of course, the CBC is the one that is most heavily subsidized. But if we're trying to develop a market for news, for example, uh, in any metro market in Canada, you have, you have to compete against a CBC newsroom that is well-staffed, uh, well-funded, and is providing their information for free, even though, of course, taxpayers have paid for it. So uh, you have uh, local television stations that uh, have access to funding that is basically involuntarily taken from people who uh, pay TV providers like cable companies. If you got rid of all those subsidies and we had a completely level playing field in terms of news media in every community across this country, I'd be the happiest person alive. And I'd go out there and say that we could build a huge, tremendous business in that kind of marketplace. We're not in that marketplace. And if we were in that marketplace, I wouldn't be asking the federal government for help. We're asking the government for help in the context of what currently exists today. Would I prefer something else? Absolutely. Do I have to deal with what the reality is? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes both ways. The argument that, that other media is subsidized, you could look at sort of the film industry and say, well, we, we have not seen a lively independent, you know, like if, if you want to get money to, to make a film, you're going to go through the subsidization system. And that may have prevented something else from taking form. A bit of an aside, perhaps. I guess what you just said uh, suggests that there's almost like a different problem that you're trying to solve. It is true that the CBC is, is subsidized by taxpayers and they, and they put out a ton of, of news product on cbc.ca. Is the point of this to create a news industry and make it so that news can function as a business? Or is the point of this to make sure that Canadians get journalism? My feeling on this is that if we want to make sure there's a safety net where we're getting basic journalistic needs covered, focusing the CBC on that goal would seem like the go-to answer. We're already paying them to do it. We're paying them a lot of money to do it. And, and frankly, um, do we want a single voice? I mean, that for me is the great problem with public provision of this. We're not actually asking for public provision of journalism. We're asking for some support for businesses uh, that are building, as I said, uh, building out new business models and trying to come up with a way of doing this viably, uh, hopefully in the future without public public support. The, uh, I think it's terrifying if we have only one publicly funded organization providing news across the country. I can't think of anything more terrifying than that. The, regardless of what safeguards may be in place right now for the independence of uh, the CBC and what it does, uh, uh, the, think about the potential for that system if it exists and only exists to the exclusion of all others. The marketplace is completely distorted by the subsidization of media. And uh, you know, even in magazines, I mean, it probably wouldn't exist a magazine industry in Canada without federal subsidies, right? There might be one or two magazines that can make a go of it. Uh, the rest would all die because they get a large amount of money from the federal government every year. With that reality in front of us, what's the best path to the future? And this is what we've come up with. We've come up with a proposal and uh, we feel that what we do needs preservation and can be transformed and viable in the future. Uh, and that's really why we've come up with what we've come up with. I mean, the idea that we would only have the CBC as the one voice, it feels like we've never had more voices in the mix. But you talk about transformation and business innovation. Just to clarify on that point, because one of the major funds here, there's one major fund for subsidizing the salaries of journalists. There's another fund here, which is about business innovation. And uh, 
your phrasing is that it, it exists to encourage innovation to adapt to changing market conditions and contribute to the diversity. Uh, it would support business transformation. Just to clarify, is that fund only there to transform legacy print companies into digital companies or does the business like would a digital business not qualify for the business innovation fund? I know you've, you've come back to this a couple of times, but this idea that somehow digital businesses wouldn't qualify. In fact, it was actually written with the intent in mind that, frankly, the only businesses that would be accessing this fund would be ones uh, that are digital. Now, they could be legacy companies also doing digital things, but uh, the idea is that you would try to foster platform agnostic uh, uh, ways of, of doing this journalism. And obviously, startup companies would, would qualify for this. The uh, legacy companies that are doing startup-like things would, would qualify for this. The whole idea is to foster new things, regardless of who is doing them. And not in the hands of necessarily the existing companies, but certainly any, anyone new starting up. That's good to know because all of the language about adaptation and transformation left some ambiguity. So yeah. uh, that, it's nice to know, like unqualified, that it would be it would be available if somebody was starting something new. I'll let you go in a moment, Bob. And thank you for being so generous with your time and thoughts on this. I want to just finally ask you this take that Andrew Coyne had on this, and it's something that I've heard other people say as well, is that this is a done deal. Mm-hmm. Coyne wrote, "The fix is in." We must assume that this is going to happen. The industry wants to be helped. The government wants to be seen helping it. And all that's happening now is an elaborate exchange of courtesies that is providing cover for a decision that has already been taken. Mm -hmm. Is that true? I mean, when I was invited to participate in the public policy forums process, my greatest fear was that even though I was there to protest this happening, the fact that I had a seat at the table would be used to legitimize that digital media was consulted, which actually has happened. I appreciate you talking with me now, but are we just providing the the appearance of a public dialogue on this? Uh, to your knowledge, is this going through? Is the federal government on board to make, to make a news? I mean, you must have insight into this. Boy, if, if it's a done deal, I wish someone had told me. I really don't know what the government will do. I know that uh, obviously the, when the Heritage Committee report came out last week, the prime minister immediately nixed the idea of a tax uh, on, uh, on broadband. That tax would have been funneled primarily into video and, and, and TV. He hasn't killed the other ideas and hasn't killed this one yet, but uh, I, I really don't know. I, I certainly don't think it's a done deal. I've spoken to many people in the Heritage Department. We've had uh, consultations internally with them as well as all the external consultations we did. We feel that they're really we've got no no feeling for whether any program might go ahead, because that's a political decision. When you talk to bureaucrats, they explain how things work, and they help you understand how things work. And if you're going to suggest a program to you, they give you ideas about how you could suggest a program to them. That doesn't mean that there's going to be a program. It just means that they're helping you, uh, you know, give them information. And uh, so uh, it's not a done deal. We wouldn't have proposed this if we didn't think it was worthwhile fighting for. And really what I see is we're, in, we're right now, we're, we're trying to uh, persuade politicians and the public in general that this is a worthwhile idea. Um, I don't see it as a done deal at all. Oh, gosh, um, there's so many things about this. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I really, it is very hard to please everybody and make sure you've covered every, every concern and that the program is, is designed perfectly to achieve the purposes that we've set out. But that's why it's good to have these discussions, why it's good to have continued dialogue so that we can actually make it better. Like any proposal, this is just a start. First base, as I said, is, is trying to see whether there 
will be some kind of federal support. Uh, and if there is, then work on the details and, and get them right. There's no point in getting this wrong. I don't want, I don't want a program that prolongs the life of a company that's going to die anyway or, or this sort of thing. That's really not the purpose. The purpose is fundamentally to support the journalism that's so important to communities across this country. And the, uh, you know, if we can improve on what we've put forward, absolutely, let's hear the ideas and let's see what we can do. Bob, I want to thank you again for your time today. Uh, thanks, Jesse. That is your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me anytime. I am at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read what you send me and I respond when I can. Listen up, guys, because this week we have the last episode of The Imposter of the Season and the last episode of Commons of the Season. Both of those shows are getting a much-needed summer break. I will continue podcasting through the summer on this show, but check out both of those shows. They are both on fire and very much worth a listen. Today's episode was produced by Ali Graham. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.